Psalm 117, let us give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. O praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise ye the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and let us pray. Almighty and ever-blessed God, we do give thee thanks once again for the privilege of coming to hear thy word read and preached. We would ask for the presence and the ministry and the work of thy spirit, that thou wouldst indeed give us illumination and understanding as we consider all that the psalmist says here. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. John Piper, many years ago, wrote a wonderful book entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad, the Supremacy of God in Missions. And there in that book, he sets forth, I think, a truth that we often forget, particularly as Reformed people, that God is sovereign over the mission enterprise of the church, that God calls the nations to be glad in Him, and that the work of missions, the work of evangelism throughout the world, is really the call to proclaim the gospel under the sovereign supremacy of the Lord our God. And as we consider tonight Psalm 117, I want us to consider in just these two short verses this gospel call to the nations. I think we oftentimes fail to see that particularly in Psalms like 117, there is a call for the nations to come into the blessing of the gospel. This is not something that is a desire or wish for some future age, but this is something that the psalmist desires now that the nations come into the light of the gospel. This indeed is the shortest psalm in the Psalter, and yet it is one that is packed with wonderful gems and truths that we find here. The Hallel, or the Praise Psalms, as we have uh, seen the last number of weeks there in that fifth section of the Psalter, covers Psalms 113 through 118. So that word Halal, or Praise, and the word Yehovah, is to give praise to Jehovah. And so we have seen that these six psalms either begin with the praise of Jehovah or they end with the praise of Jehovah. And here, and particularly in Psalm 117, we see that the psalmist begins and ends with that note of Hallelujah, Jehovah. These were sung at the Passover, as we have already discovered, at the Passover and the various feast days of Israel. This particular psalm is related to the song that was sung at the Red Sea as the people of God crossed into the Promised Land. The prayer of thanksgiving describing Israel's redemption and the worship of God seen as a public acknowledgement of God as King is seen typified in these Hallel Psalms. The song of Moses there recorded in Exodus chapter 15 concludes with a reference to the temple accessed by the people of God as they cross over 
into the promised land. I would invite you to turn uh, to Psalm to Exodus chapter 15. We won't look at all of this, but you have that familiar record of Exodus chapter 15 of Moses and the people of God singing that song of victory. It states there in verse 1 of chapter 15 that Moses and the children of Israel sang this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider have been cast into the sea. So as he begins there expressing that song, expressing that praise of the people of God as they came through, they saw that God was their strength, that God was their song, and that he had drowned the captains there in verse 4, the, the chariots of Pharaoh, he had cast them and drowned them into the sea. But as you continue through that song, through that um, through Exodus 15 there, and as you see the, uh, the various psalms that are depicted there, you come to verse 16 of Exodus 15, and it says, Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone till they till thy people pass over o lord till thy people pass over which thou hast purchased thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place o lord which thou hast made for thee to dwell in in the sanctuary o lord which thy hands have established the Lord shall reign forever and ever. I draw your attention particularly to, particularly to verses uh, 16 through 18 of Exodus because it, it says there that as the people cross the Red Sea, as they come through on dry land, as they go into the promised land, where are they going? Are they just like typical nomadic tribes just wandering aimlessly about? No, they're going to the place that God has appointed for him to be worshipped. They're going to that sanctuary which his very hands have established. And so as we have made our way through this fifth book of the Psalter, we see God depicted as king. He is king over Zion. He is king over the nations. His name indeed is God. He is the one who dwells, Psalm 113 on high. He is the God who has delivered his people out of Egypt. They are the house of Jacob. They are Judah, his sanctuary. They are Israel, his dominion. And as you make your way through these six psalms, these six Hallel psalms, you see there that their praise and thanks unto this God who has delivered them becomes realized as they come to that place that he has designated for them to worship. And so there's this theme, and this is a continual theme throughout the Old Testament, that as God delivers his people from the power of sin, he provides for them rest. And what better picture of rest than this idea of the people coming to worship the Lord their God? And so here the thanksgiving for his deliverance is expressed in all six of these psalms. 
113 and 114 relate to the Exodus, relate to the deliverance of God's people from, from Egypt. And then uh, Psalm 115 through 118 express Israel leaving Egypt and going and making that journey to the promised land toward the temple of the living God. And so we see that particularly here in Psalm 117, and it will end in 118 with that reminder that they are making that journey toward not just the promised land, but toward the temple of the living God. There in Luke chapter 22, verse 17, you remember several weeks ago as we were making our way through that passage, looking at the preparation for the Passover, there before Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, what are they doing there in verse 17 of Luke chapter 22? They're drinking a cup. And oftentimes that's caused confusion. Why are they drinking a cup before he institutes the Lord's Supper? They're drinking the fourth cup of the Passover Seder. There were four cups that they drank. This is the fourth cup depicted. And according to the Jewish Seder, this is called the cup of rest. And so as the, as the families would gather for the Passover Seder, and as they would drink from that fourth cup, that cup of rest, they are reminded of what we see depicted in Psalms 115 through 118, that God provides rest for his people. He provides rest because he's delivered them from bondage. And as he delivers them from bondage, he provides for them rest. What a beautiful picture for us of that rest that we find in the Lord our God who calls us to worship him, who calls us to give praise unto him. And so we want to consider that as God delivers us from the power of sin, as he delivers us from bondage, he's providing us with rest. We see the restlessness of the nations. We see the chaos of the nations. But here depicted in the Psalms, the rest for the people of God does not involve any chaos or disorder. It, it involves rest. It involves worship. It involves praise of this God who calls the nations to worship him. This particular psalm celebrates the great blessing of God upon the Gentiles. And as we consider this, Paul the Apostle, there in Romans chapter 15 and verse 11, Paul applies this very passage to the church there in Romans chapter 15, um, beginning in verse 10. Paul the Apostle says again, he saith, Rejoice ye, <clears throat> Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. There, as Paul is laying out there in chapter 15, he's speaking of the unity that is to be realized within the body of Christ. And the unity is depicted as bringing together both Jew and Gentile. 
And you see that in Ephesians chapter 2, that the picture of drawing those who are far away into one temple, one place. And yet, here in this passage of Scripture, there is the call for them to become patient, to find consolation, to be of one mind and heart. Christ has received, verse 7, as sinners to the glory of God's grace. And so even though they are weak and frail, there should be a desire for them to be united together as one body. And so that is the theme there in chapter 15, verses 8 through um, 13, that they are servants of Christ, both Jew and Gentile, and that all of the promised blessings, verse 8, of Abraham come through that one promised seed. And so verses 10 and 11 are quoting from Psalm 117, verse 1, as well as Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. And so Paul here shows that there is to be the bringing in of all the nations to worship this God. And so here is a reminder to us that Paul applies to this passage that the Gentiles are to be called into the church. I really particularly like what John Piper says in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He clearly states that God is not calling individuals into his kingdom. God is not just simply calling someone here, calling someone there. He's calling nations. And I think that's particularly important because as we think about the Great Commission, what does Jesus say? All authority has been given to me, therefore, go and what? Literally disciple the nations. They're not called to disciple individuals. They are called to disciple nations. And how do they disciple nations? They send missionaries. They send someone like Doc. Uh, I keep calling him doctor. It reminds me of making him a doctor. But Pastor David Robbins, as he is going to Italy, as the United Reformed Churches are doing a great work of missions within the nation of Italy, we're going and discipling the nations. And so the call to the nations to come into the blessings of that glorious gospel age. So you think back in the Old Testament, God called family from out of the household of Abraham. He called a family out of the household of Jacob. And from those individual family units, God called a nation to worship himself. He singled out Israel there in the Old Testament for the express purpose of making her a testimony that would call to the nations, Jew and Gentile, to come into the blessings of his covenant. As you recall there, in Genesis chapter 17, and verse 5, Genesis chapter 17, and verse 5, How old is Abram at this point? He is 90 years old. And God comes to him and speaks to him 
and says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. Abram didn't excuse it by saying, you know, I'm an old man. I don't have the strength to walk before thee. There was no excuse. He called him to walk before them. And he made a covenant between him and the Lord God and said he would multiply his seed exceedingly. And there in verse 5 of Genesis 17, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. Why? For thou shalt be a father of many nations, not one nation, but many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And then he promises he will establish his covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land which thou art a stranger, all the land of Cana, Canaan for what? An everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Notice here what the Lord is doing. He is telling Abraham that he will raise up a seed that will come into the land. For what purpose? That they might rest. That they might give worship and praise unto God. There in chapter 18, in verse 18... It says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And so here we see that God singles out a nation, that from that nation, all the way back in Abraham, God extends the blessing of the covenant that he promises to save a holy seed, not an unholy seed, not an ungodly seed, but he promises to preserve a godly seed through Abraham. And his descendants. Then I draw your attention to one final verse in Romans chapter 4 and verse 11. See how well the Old and New Testament is tied together? And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe though they be not circumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised. And so here we see this doctrine of justification Faith being taught even in the Old Testament, that God promises assurance and forgiveness of sin through the promised 
Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Abraham is not the father of some physical nation of people who are at war. Abraham is the father of all who believe and look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And so as we think of all of that, Israel was singled out, but God's expressed purpose was to call out a people from all the nations of the earth. And so as we draw our attention to this brief uh, psalm, we find here in verse 1 the duty to call the nations to worship. There's the exhortation given here. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Give Him praise. He calls all ye nations to praise Him. All ye people. As we look there in verse 1, we see that nations are the Gentile nations. That the nations are the tribes of people that come from everywhere. From out of all the nations of the earth, it is them that God specifically calls to give praise unto Him. Now note there that the praise is of the nations, the elect nations out of the earth. Going back to Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, it's the elect that God brings out of the nations of the earth who are called to give Him praise. And so that's why the psalmist will oftentimes say, Praise Him, all ye peoples. Praise Him, all ye nations. Because the nations are the ones who are to give Him praise. This is not a universal call for every single person to come and give praise to God. This is a universal call to all of the elect from out of all of the nations of the earth to give praise unto the Lord their God. And so the psalmist is clear there that the nations, the peoples, are to give him praise. All the tribes of the earth are to call, are to, to worship the living God. Again, Paul cites this text there in Romans chapter 15, that the Gentiles would glorify God for what purpose? For His mercy. And that draws us to the cause of the duty. There is the duty, there is the exhortation for the elect nations to give praise to God. But there's the cause of duty. And that is that they are to give thanks to the Lord for what? For all of His merciful kindness toward them. Notice verse 2 says, For His merciful kindness is great toward us. Specifically to those people that He draws out of the nations of the earth. And so the duty there is for them to give praise unto God for all of His mercy. When we think of this call to give praise unto God, there are two objects to which God shows mercy. I think it's important for us to, to understand. There is that general mercy that is given toward all His creatures. It is not a common grace. Your pastor does not hold to that notion. And I'm not alone in that. God's grace is not common. God's grace is 
is not given to every creature. But God's general mercy, God's general compassion is given to all His creatures. But here, there's a particular grace that is given to the elect and particularly given to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the psalmist says His merciful kindness is great toward us, not to every single person. That somehow Jesus might shed his blood for every single person and somehow they'll all get, uh, get saved. That's not the notion here. His merciful kindness is specifically given toward those who are the objects of his covenant loyalty. And that merciful kindness that is used there in verse 2 uh, indicates that covenant loyalty that covenant love, that mercy that is given because the Lord has shown kindness, not just toward the elect Jews, but also to the elect Gentiles. But I want us to note here, and this is always the objection that Arminians raise against Calvinism, that you don't like missions, that you don't like evangelism. Well, we more so like evangelism and mission because the object of God's love is the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His love extends to the world, but his love is based upon the condition that his covenant provide redemption for the nations, that that covenant is effectual for sinners everywhere. And so the, the nations that are the object of God's mercy come from out of all of the tribes, tongues, languages, and nations. So they are to give praise unto God for His merciful kindness and there he shows the measure of that kindness is great. Notice here the psalmist says his kindness is great toward us. That there's a sense in which you cannot measure his kindness. You cannot take his kindness and put it in, in some kind of, of a vase and measure it. It's beyond measure. It's great toward us. The, the indication of this greatness shows that it is strong, that it is, is one that um, is given toward all of his elect. And so his kindness toward them is great. His kindness toward them is, is amazing. And then he concludes there, at the latter half of verse 2 by saying his kindness is um, his kindness is great toward us and the truth of the lord endureth forever this is a wonderful reminder to us that god's truth doesn't just last for one season or for another but his his truth endures forever and the truth of which he speaks of here is that fidelity, that faithfulness, that covenant loyalty, that God will be faithful unto his seed for how many generations? 
for a thousand generations. I don't know anybody that will live for a thousand generations or for that many years, but that is how long God's covenant will last. You cannot measure how long that lasts. That's beyond our comprehension. But God's truth, that is his faithfulness, his covenant toward his people, will endure forever. And so that is particularly something that calls us to give praise unto the Lord. There in in, um, John Piper's book, he states that the nations are saturated with the hope of the gospel of Christ. He says to support this claim of the purposes of God for the nations, Paul gathers four Old Testament quotations about the ethnic nations of which in their Old Testament context refers to nations, not to individuals. He quotes there from Romans 15.9, which was, was read earlier, Therefore I will praise thee among the nations and sing to thy name. Uh, Romans 15.10, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, Rejoice, all ye nations. There in Psalm 117.1, we have seen it. Praise ye the Lord, all ye nations. There in Isaiah chapter 11.10, The root of Jesse shall come. He who rises up to rule, what? The nations, the ethnic groups, the people groups of all the nations of the earth. And so that is the focus of God's saving grace is the nations of the earth. I'd like for us to to consider for just a moment, and perhaps some of those of you who are taking uh, in homeschooling, learning uh, some of the geography and the history of the world. How many continents are there in the world? There's seven. There's North America, there's South America, there's Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, and Antarctica. Do you know how many countries lie within the nation of Africa? 54. How many countries lie within the nation of Asia? 48 countries. There's six regions within Asia, but there's 48 countries. And within Asia, there are many Arab nations, many nations that are steeped under the superstition of Islam. But as we consider the psalm, the saving work of God's grace to the nations of the earth, to those people groups, to those countries, are that he might draw the nations by the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other means by which God draws his elect into the church other than through the preaching of the gospel. He doesn't use drama. He doesn't use liturgical dance. He doesn't use all these other methods that have often been used, but he uses the simple preaching of the gospel that is taken by men to the nations of the earth. 
And therefore, as we think upon this psalm tonight, there is a call for us to be committed to the mission of the world. I was really encouraged when Pastor David Robbins came here the first time and we had such a wonderful response to what he was going to be doing in Italy. And the church should always be committed to world missions, not so that we can just randomly save as many people going to hell as possible, but that we can take the gospel the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to the nations so that he might draw into his kingdom all of his elect. And so there's a challenge for us even tonight to give praise and thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ because Psalm 117 doesn't just speak of God in a nebulous term it speaks of the Lord or Jehovah the triune God the Father Son and Holy Spirit and so it is God who is to be worshipped it is the Lord Jesus Christ particularly who brings his saving grace to his elect out of all the nations of the earth and so our task is to respond to the saving work of God in the midst of the nations. Our call is to pray for the work of God's kingdom, to pray that open doors would happen in Italy, to pray for open doors in Iran and Iraq. Remember the the Apostle Paul says to the church, pray for me that what? a door might be opened that the gospel would be taken to the Gentiles. And so perhaps we need to pray more for the work of God's kingdom among the nations of the earth. Perhaps we need to pray more that God would indeed call men to the nations of the earth. That really is what we should be praying. Jesus says the fields are white unto harvest. Therefore, he said what? Pray that the Lord will send workers in to his harvest field. The call here for us is to understand that the praise of God because of his faithful love exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ is a call that all the nations of the earth are to hear And so when the Lord Jesus Christ returns on that final day, what a beautiful picture that will be when he will assemble all of the tribes of the earth before him. And he will not just save a few. He will not just save some, but he will save many. For the picture of John the Apostle there in the Revelation, in the book of the Revelation says, there was a number that no man could number out of the tribes of the earth that came to give worship and praise to God. And so when we stand before Christ on that final day, we will indeed find that we have brothers and sisters from every continent, every tribe, every region of the earth, or even now, 
The Lord is calling His elect out of the nations through the preaching of the gospel. So here is a wonderful missionary psalm coming to the end of these Hallel psalms. The last one will be preached on on the 22nd. But here we are called to consider that this king who rules in Zion is the one who shows his kindness toward those who, like Israel, he's delivered from bondage. He's brought them through that they might rest, that they might worship this God who indeed is gracious and merciful toward his people. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks for the wonderful working of thy grace. We do thank thee that even now thou art taking out of the nations, out of the people groups, out of the tribes of the earth, a people for thy own name's sake. O Lord Jesus Christ, we do praise thee. We do confess that thou art the only God, that thou art the God who has shown mercy unto us, that thou art the God whose truth will endure forever. We pray that thou would send us forth even tonight, that we might pray, that we might labor and work while it is still day, that we might take the gospel to the nations, that the peoples whom thou hast prepared to receive that gospel would indeed be glad. And may we rejoice and give thee praise that all of the nations are under your supreme control. And that thou wilt indeed bring all of thy elect in. And we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.